0: i said it last week and i'll say it again this week you see where we are so you have to know what it is episode three of the black with Bsac podcast can i get a round of applause from the audience very very i say this every episode but today i'm very very excited for what we have in store for you it is the last episode so do me a favor if you haven't already Check back, our last two episodes. Uh, Very good conversations in those ones. And I'm looking to beat it today. So no pressure to you guys. I got a new crew with me. Uh, I'll kick it to my right to get introduction from everybody. First of all, I'm Daniel Oladejo, if you don't remember, um, of Nigerian descent. And I play football at the University of Ottawa. To my right, I have a distinguished
1: guest. I'm going to let him introduce himself, but afterwards, I'm going to do a proper introduction. All right. Thank you, Dan. You just raised expectations. I don't know. Uh, I'm Dwayne Provo, I'm the Associate Deputy Minister uh, for African Nova Scotian Affairs for the province of Nova Scotia within the Department of Communities, Culture, Tourism and Heritage. Former pro-athlete and a proud father. Oh, there it is. African Nova Scotian. <laughs> yes sir. <laughs> Alyssa.
2: My, my name is Alyssa Provo. I am of African Nova Scotian descent and I play on the women's GT basketball team. And I am his daughter. <laughs>
3: My name is AK Ismail. Um, I am from Somali descent and I play football for the University of Ottawa. Round of applause. <laughs> Everybody, right? round of applause.
0: <laughs> <in>.
4: <laughs> My name is Savannah Provo. I'm on the women's basketball team. I, I'm of African Nova Scotian descent and I am also Dwayne's daughter. There you, go.
0: there you go. So, I mean, if you haven't put it together by now, we have three Provos on the podcast today. I mean, Alyssa and Savannah, both accomplished women's basketball players here at the university. Still looking to accomplish more. We're looking for a championship this season. And accompanied by their dad, Dwayne Provo. And that's the reason I'm so excited for this episode. I mean, if you see, I'm going to share the bio with you and you're going to put together. I mean, this is a, a, an all-time resume I'm looking at here. All right, Dwayne Provo is the current associate deputy minister um, of, what is that? The African Nova Scotian Affairs communities, culture, tourism, and heritage, born and raised in the community of North Preston, which is Canada's largest black community. Duane has a master's of education from Mount St. Vincent, Vincent University and a bachelor's degrees from St. Mary's and Dalhousie. Duane has a background in education and served as a provincial regional education officer, advising governments on issues affecting African Nova, Nova Scotian learners. Also worked as a Provincial School Health Coordinator and Executive Director of the Black Educators Association of Nova Scotia. He served on national and international education committees, including with the World Health Organization. That's a big deal. International School Health Network, Canadian Teachers Federation and National Alliance of Black School Educators. Duane was appointed the Associate Deputy Minister of African Nova Scotian Affairs in October of 2021. Now that I've given a proper introduction, can we get a round of applause for Mr. Dwayne Provo, joined here by his two daughters. So, we're gonna get things rolling. Today is really just the Dwayne Provo episode. That's what we've called it, the Dwayne Provo episode. <laughs> we gotta appreciate black greatness when we, whenever we get the chance. Uh, it's something we've talked about in our last two episodes. Our last episode, if you recall, was called Black in Academia, mm-hmm. and what better way to continue and build on that conversation and having a distinguished black academic here today. So, we're gonna start, really, the Dwayne Provost story. We're gonna start with the early life. We mentioned he was born and
1: raised in North Preston, Nova Scotia.
0: Dwayne, what was that like?
1: Well, look, it's, uh, it's something that a lot of folks, um, at least in Canada, if you're an African descent, don't get an opportunity to experience. Mm-hmm. So, growing up in an all black community, mm-hmm. Um, you know, all black school. Um, you know, I think uh, had a lot of pros for us, a lot of pros, very few cons. But um, the one thing was that we, the folks that we went to school with, were also our friends. But we didn't have to deal with those nuances that you know in in schools where folks were you know are concerned about racism, concerned about all these. things. That just wasn't necessarily necessarily something we had to deal with. It was really basically. You know, the community was a community when you're young, that's all you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, it was good to to see that. Now, what we did notice is that, you know, a lot of the folks that were in front of us may not be reflective, were not necessarily reflective of us, which was another thing. But we did have some members of our communities that were in front of us, which made a big difference. So, um, growing up uh, right until grade four or five, not heading out of the community until grade five, um, you know, you're really isolated. They're allowed to get some of your early learning done in a way which was really in a safe safe environment, right? So, um, you know, that that does have some of its some of its pros that way. Uh, but then the integration piece, we're able to do that once we moved out. Um, that was a big piece for me. Um, those are friends till today. Uh, our community is our community. So when you say where you're from, you know, North Preston, mm-hmm. you know, we yeah. do that, and also son of East Preston. So we'd spend all of our weeks in the weekday in North Preston, and then my mom's from East Preston, so we are in East Preston, is one of the second or third largest black communities, in the mm-hmm. historic black communities in the country. So coming from that, um, we had our, our own way of doing things, and we looked out for one another in a way that, uh, you know, um, in a way that... Um, Black communities do right yeah. I mean uh, that's really what it, what it is and still what it is to this very day so that's uh, that's the small educational piece of it but yeah, uh, yeah. so that's uh, that's the very beginning the school pieces is seeing everybody doing all that um, but growing up's been uh, in that community's been uh, it's been something that once you're from once you're from a certain community, no matter where you're from, um, you're always part of that no matter what and uh, you have a special place in your heart for it. And I'm there every weekend. I'm, I'm in East Preston now, uh, right on the outside of East Preston. And that gets to some other stuff that you'll probably talk about a little yeah. bit later around how sometimes properties and things of that nature for people, folks of African descent, how um, you know, we talk about gentrification and or land being, uh, being taken and those things sort of happen. So that's a little bit of that stuff going yeah. on as well.
0: I mean, that's uh, definitely a, a big thing. I think a lot of times in black communities, there's that strong identification with where you're from. I know for me personally, being of Nigerian descent, I was born in Nigeria, but I haven't been back in a long, long time. But when people see my last name, especially people from kind of my tribe, the Yoruba tribe, Mm -hmm. they know right away, oh, he's like, I'm selling my, subletting one of my, my room right now, and someone messaged me like, oh, I'm trying to sublet, or whatever, I get on the phone with him, and he's like, oh, you're your robot." And then he starts speaking to me like, oh, like we've been friends for That's a long right. time. There's that right. right. really strong identification with kind of where you're from, your roots and things like that. So, uh, AK, you mentioned you're Somali. You were born and raised in Ottawa, right? Yeah, born and raised so in Ottawa. So, do you kind of have a a strong identification with your community in Ottawa or where you grew up, your neighborhood type thing?
3: Yeah, 100%. I think um, it happens a lot when I just kind of see a fellow like Somali, you know, they'll be asking like... It's the same type of thing, like your tribe, where you're from, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And there's also, like, where you're, if you're a lander or, like, a non-lander, that's another thing. So it's, like, for example, when I'm working at Mo'Body and I'm at the gym and, uh, you know, I see a, some other guy that I've seen before, it's always, like, salam, which is, like, I mean, dab yeah. him up, give a yeah. hug. And so I'm, like, you know them? I'm, like, not really, but I've seen them last times. you <laughs> yeah, know, exactly. know what I mean? So, exactly. you know, same thing with, like, the aunties that come in, it's the same type of thing. It's always, like, the most respect, you know? So same type of uh,
0: identification. Yeah. You know? And then for Alyssa and Savannah, having that, your dad being that uh, connected to his kind of community and upbringing, things like that, how do you think that's kind of rolled over, played over with your lives and your identification with where you grew up? You can kind of give your backstory as well, where you grew up, um, how you identify with things like that, and then also um, what having a dad from North Preston, the largest black community <laughs> in Canada, uh, was kind of like growing up.
4: I mean. Well, we grew up, like you said, we grew up outside of northeast of North Preston, mm-hmm. due to you know everything that's happened. Mm-hmm. So we didn't necessarily grow up within the the largest Black community in Canada. We yeah. grew up right outside of it. Yeah. We went to the same schools. Our schools were mostly Black really. up until you know a certain a certain age mm-hmm. or a certain grade. But um, still, you still, if, I still feel deeply like. I am from North Preston. Yeah. I'm from East Preston. Mm-hmm. Even my mother's side, I'm from Dartmouth. Like yeah. I yeah. am, you know, I am a uh, a prodigy of uh, African Nova Scotian mm-hmm. descent. Doesn't matter where it's from. Yeah. It's all over.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to add on also like since our grandparents from there, lots of family is in um, North yeah. Preston. So we just spend lots of time up there on Sundays, on weekends. Just you, it feels like home. Like. Yeah. When, I, when people would ask, like, where you from, I wouldn't really say, like, Lake Echo, like, yes, I, was, I live there, mm-hmm. that's, like, the address, but, like, North Preston, like, that's the community that I feel like I belong with.
0: Yeah, and that's huge for, like I was saying, with black communities, having that strong, it roots you, like, it grounds you, like, you know, this is where my people are at, this is where I'm from, like, it, having that strong sense of identity rooted in where you're from, definitely huge. And, um, like, Dwayne mentioned earlier, he was, a professional athlete, which is no small feat. Um, just wondering, did growing up in North Preston kind of uh, kickstart that journey, or how did you end up getting into kind of pursuing athletics professionally? Oh, that's a long story. That's how, long long story? That? <laughs> how long is this podcast? How long is podcast? You got you you <laughs> a bit of time, you can dive
1: into it, <laughs> give us the details. Uh, the the, the, uh, the pro athlete thing is later on. Mm-hmm. Um, really, it became about uh, having a love of sport, yeah. just sport in general, and uh, and we learned in the ways that most, um, you know, in the backyards and, and doing things, not um, not uh, the guys that would all suit up in all the hockey equipment mm. and at the rink down outside the community, but it, you know, typically sports in which uh, didn't uh, didn't cost much yeah. that we could play ourselves. Yeah. So, you know, basketball, you know, and you looked up to all the guys in the community, that was a big thing, the big tournaments in the community, and the older guys would, you know, have us you know, make little teams, and we'd do, do that stuff, and that was always a big thing uh, for us. But, you know, we we played, um, you know, whether it's ball hockey and all that as well, right? I mean, hockey's Canada's thing, right? Yeah. So that's what we do. Uh, ball hockey, but it's on pavement, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we do, you know, what we, do, we do make the makeshift nets and all mm-hmm. that. So we did all of that, but also football. So we played football on the, you know, the fields, especially one up above where my mom and dad are on our property up uh, behind the house. And friends would come in, we play some football there, and then, but also we played on the roads, right? Yeah. So. You know, you get 10 yards, you just do those 10 paces. Yeah. <laughs> so you, yeah, you do the 10 paces. and you take a rock, mark that first down yeah. line, right? And then yeah. you go again, right? right. That's right. What, so that's we did a lot right. of that um, and uh, that's really where sports started but, uh, for me. But we didn't really get into organized sport until I got into junior high school. Mm-hmm. And in junior high school, I was fortunate enough, uh, usually it didn't start until grade 7, but they allowed me to play at grade 6. Uh, my brother played uh, as well, so I was able to. Uh, my first taste of that was playing, um, you know, volleyball. A little yeah. bit of volleyball, and I can tell you a little bit of that as we go. Um, and I was able to play volleyball, but also I had to play. And you know, I had a chance to play touch football. Mm-hmm. My big brother, you know, he's only one grade ahead of me, right? Yeah. My big brother's on the team, so that was uh, that was that was fun. So I got a chance to play. Uh, with him a couple a couple years because he we went to another school after um, I guess that goes back to the what I'm talking about in terms of you said what is that experience in the community when you're in a marginalized community like we are um, and then you tend to go outside of that community one of the things for us most people go to maybe two or three schools their you know their academic yeah you know uh, career um, from elementary or their public school career but um, but for us uh, so we did, the first two years, we had two schools in our community. Uh, Alan W. Evans, we did from grade primary to uh, grade one. Mm-hmm. Grade two to grade four, we did at Nelson Winder, which is also inside. Grade five to grade seven, we did it at Ross Road, which is outside of wow. the community. Grade eight to grade nine, we did it at Robert Borden, which is further outside the community. Uh, grade 10 we did at the Bell Annex, which was um, just in Cole Harbor, right beside Coal Harbor Place. And grade 11 and 12 was at the Harbor Annex on the other side. Jeez. So there was a lot of transition, yeah. a lot of movement. Yeah. Um, you know, it's always hard to get consistency and stuff. But um, throughout that, we're all together, mm-hmm. right? The group of us from the community, so we're all together. Um, but that, uh, yeah, we're all together. I mean, in those classes where you do, back then they called them academic prep classes. You're fortunate if you had one or two you know, people from our community that were even in them together, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that that was all part of it. But it gets to the athletics. So in the athletics, it was an opportunity for us to to do those things that we did on the uh, on the roads and yeah. in the fields uh, together in something that was somewhat organized. And we got to see some of our other friends because. Uh, we'd play against uh, neighboring communities, so we had relatives and cousins in East Preston and Cherry Brooks, so we'd play against them, so it was always great to see them. I still remember my first year playing sport in grade seven and uh, uh, grade seven on the basketball team playing in my, well I have a, a cousin. he was, I think he was six foot seven in grade nine or something anyway but yeah and I remember him in that first grade seven game Duncan well, and I was like well and I was like well, opposite team but I was like well done <laughs> well done anyway but um, that was our first taste of real uh, organized sport yeah. Doing a little bit of that, um, and and it was it was good. So I played a few sports that year, and fortunate enough, I was able to I was athlete of the year that, that year, and then I moved on to Sir Robert Borden, and that's where I learned the I learned to win, mm-hmm. I learned to win at Sir Robert Borden, um, and that was through, through volleyball. So I had a few uh, a few people that took a real interest in some of us from our community. There were about three of us um, from our community, and on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we had something called a late bus. So that bus would take us to our community back and forth, so we could stay two or three hours after school and get back, which allowed us to do some stuff. And um, and we had a couple teachers. One teacher in particular, Mr. Reed, who took a an interest in, in us and in, in trying to make sure that we had, um, you know, all the time we needed to develop that that, that sport. He was also the, the volleyball coach, so we'd be able to go in first thing in the morning. We set up stuff, get in early, learn some of that responsibility, but um, we were able to 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 you know be there after school and and learn some of the fine uh, the fine art of playing volleyball and I remember my um, it's funny because my first game and that I played I don't know if the girls even know this one is that so we played a team outside of the the community in Eastern Passage and and, uh, and I, I taught myself as a pretty decent athlete, but um, I didn't know much about the real game until we started to learn, but I remember my first game. I remember, I think, when I went, and if anyone knows any anything about volleyball, I think my first one, I met, did my approach and came up, and I think I took the whole net up, and the other guy on the other side took the whole net down, <laughs> so it was like, that was the first stint of it, but by the time we got to the end of that, that, that school year, we were pretty good. Mm-hmm. and and I was pretty good and we won we won the junior high championship that year for the first time in that school's history so we did that again the following year as well I mean it wasn't an easy task and uh, in grade in high school I did basketball for a year and as well, but we couldn't play two sports, so we just did a few tournaments and got some MVPs and some of that, but I had to pick a sport, so I picked volleyball, and we won uh, the three straight provincial championships in uh, in high school volleyball. The, The last one we won, just to say, now you're talking about a black volleyball team. Yeah. Right, yeah, which is, that, that's what you're which talking about—a black volleyball yeah, team. So exactly. it's not just a volleyball team, a black volleyball team. And uh, my final year, we had a chance to play the Offsa, I think the Ontario yeah, School yeah, yeah. Offsa champions, which was Colonel oh, By. Whoa! Right? Whoa! In the whole circle moment, I'm a
0: Colonel By alum.
1: Oh, there you uh, go. I actually went to, did not talk about that until now. We just found out that did you guys win? We played Colonel. I, mean, Bowie. I know Colonel
0: Byron was pretty good at volleyball. Yeah, they year. they
1: were they were dominant. Um, they had a lot of six foot whatever uh, players that were across the board, and uh, we're a small team. And I was actually middle blocker at five ten. So, because I had to move into the middle block to, so to help for jump. that game. I'm outside. You could jump. I could do a little yeah, bit of that. Yeah, and so they moved me on the inside for that, that uh, championship game. So, picture this. So, you have all the junior high teams from across the province at the Dow Classic, Dallas Classic high school tournament. All the junior high teams that are there, girls and boys. And then you had all the high school teams that were there to watch girls and boys. And so the gym is packed, center court. And everyone's cheering on the home team to play Colonel Bai, who was just dominating in the tournament. So we're undefeated. They're undefeated. And so you're looking across, and uh, it was a best of three. And, uh, yeah, you know, the home team, 2-0. And uh, with uh, us as a, me as a middle blocker, 100% kill efficiency. Wow. And, uh, and we we, we uh, that was big. So we weren't just the best in... No, we're the best in Ontario, too, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> so, that was that. that so we, but we learned but we did, what we did there. We learned how to win. We learned what it took to win. We learned the dedication, the effort, the commitment, and the sacrifice that it took in order to be good at what you did, mm-hmm. right? To learn your craft. And because of that, it allowed me to take those skills and be able to transfer those skills into what I did at the university level. So from that, I played university volleyball for three years at Dalhousie. We won three AUS, AUS championships, as well as those first-team all-star. And then from there, I said, well, you know, I only have two more years left as eligibility, and I want to play a little bit of football. So I redshirted my last year, of my first degree at um, University of Alberta. Got a chance to work with a lot of Hall of Fame football coaches like uh, Tom Wilkinson, Dave Cutler, you know, you, you name it. And uh, I redshirted that year. I said I didn't want to play um I didn't want to. I didn't want my eligibility to um, to uh, conclude without my second degree. Yeah. So I redshirted, even though they wanted me to play, and they were really good about it. And then the following year, I came back and played with Larry, U, the late year U, Larry U Tech, who was my coach at St. Mary's University. The Utteck uh, Bowl. Yes, that's what it's named that. after Larry, right? And oh. so. Uh, Coach Wilkinson called UTEC and uh, just let him say, You got a kid coming from from here, from me. And uh, he said, uh, This kid can play. I know you guys just finished that Vanier Cup last year, and you got every defensive player coming back, but uh, I think you're going to like this kid. So I came on and um, and uh, I went out and of course you got all the naysayers. You're always going to have people saying, "Well, you never played football before. How are you going to play?" They just come from Banya Cup. They're the best. Anyway, so I go out and uh, and um, and I, uh, I play well and I break the starting lineup, right? And the only fun to come in to break the starting lineup on the corner, right? So. Um, and then uh, Which is from not easy. It's not no, easy. no, DB I'm right easy. here, right? DB it, right here, the right? Spot. That's right. It's, and and, and, if, football, right. Yes. and if you guys know anything, the guy I had on the other side of me was Jerome Payton, mm-hmm. who played in the NFL oh, yeah. with uh, New Orleans and Indianapolis, yeah. wow. right? So Jerome was on the other side, and uh, for Acadia at that time, mm-hmm. right? And I uh, got a chance to play there, but um, I mean, I can run. Right, I can do a little bit of that. I can do a little bit I just like this one This I can do a little bit of that. And so but Jerome can run too. Yeah. So but I could keep up with them. So that year we played, um, we won uh, AUS again and then uh, you know, unfortunately we lost in the uh, in the bowl game. Um, and then the following year, uh, same thing, first team all star, we win again and then uh, we lose in the in the bowl game. They're close games, but that's just how it goes and but um but you know, it's one thing I learned there because um, my first year we had a couple guys that went in the first round. Yeah. So we had Tony Bailey. Tony's about six foot five, uh, defensive lineman, defensive end, 200 and two two what two sixty or whatever. But Tony's a just a specimen. Yeah. Just it, matter, matter of matter fact, his his mom is uh, his mom was a um, uh, hundred meter uh, track uh, track athlete for Team Canada, Marjorie Bailey. Right, from Nova Scotia and so Tony had all those all those things but we worked and uh, we had another gentleman named um, we had Anthony Oxley but we also had um, an, another DB uh, that was with the Ottawa at that time it was the Ottawa um, what? Rough Riders Right, oh, right rough. it was the Rough Riders back then yeah. I know so many transitions yeah. of teams yeah. and everything yeah. else yeah. Like we paid we paid their bills for one year <laughs> uh, as players but uh, yeah so um you know, they were there and uh, and so I knew that I had a chance because Tony and the grass would come back and they'd see my, you know, what I was doing because then, then they'd, they'd look at what everyone else was doing too. I put the work in and then um, got invited to the combine and uh, that that's an interesting story because I know the two gentlemen here, uh, the two gentlemen here in the room, um, we'll be showing off their wares at the combine uh, sometime this year as well. So shout out, shout out to AK, that's it? <laughs> big, that's funny, big, big shout out. And so looking forward, to, looking forward to hearing about that. So may even try to get in there. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I got some friends that are. My friends are all coaching or running teams now. Yeah. GM, sure so. you can make a call. That's thing. it. Yeah, I'm sure you know a guy. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so, you know, I was able to get to uh, the Combine, and uh, so I was getting a lot of letters, uh, we sent them some packages, a lot of letters come from NFL teams, people wondering, who's this kid, and, you know, these numbers can't be for real, and all this. What and, were the uh, numbers? Do you remember the numbers? Yeah, the <laughs> numbers, some I of the numbers, number. the numbers, were, well, look, I, I, I played volleyball, mm-hmm. and it was 5'10", middle blocker, beating Colonel By, who had the best team in the country. Slight and uh, mm-hmm. and they can play. Those those yeah. guys can play. Played university all stars and MVPs. Mm-hmm. And so I can jump. Yeah, right. Forty. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. I 40? can jump. At the combine I no, I don't think it was I think it was thirty that was low. I think it was 39, thirty nine, thirty eight. He said low. He said he low thirty nine one inch. Thirty nine. I think it was around 30 there. And um and so but I knew what I could do. So uh we you know how what you guys would go through, they go and they do interviews with the team. So mm-hmm. each player will sit down with all the teams. Yeah. And they, you know, go run you through the paces and they ask you all that stuff. And I remember I remember sitting down with one team in particular and uh, they were asking, so what do you so son, you know, I know, you know, from St. Mary's, you know, looking through my files, so what, what are you going to run tomorrow, right? And I said, uh, I said, well, look, on a slow day, I run 4-4, right? And uh, <laughs> I said, right? And so what But see the oh reaction? God. I said, on a slow day, I run 4-4. <laughs> and, uh, and they looked at me like I was crazy. But, like all three of them, there looked at me and they went, <laughs> now, these interviews usually go about 10 minutes or so, a little bit longer, 15 minutes each player. Mm-hmm. And that was when I was in the, like minute two, and they looked at me and they looked at each other. Said, Thank you, son. Thank <laughs> you, son. <laughs> uh, next. I said, you're done already? I said, yeah, yeah, That's we got enough, son. We got enough. Wow. Right? Because they didn't think I was, they didn't think the numbers were, were, were legit. Anyway, we went through all that. The next morning, uh, we get up and you know, we do the, the vertical. We do all that stuff. And, and then, uh, you know, it's 40 time now, right? So everyone got the old watches out. Mm-hmm. There's no electronic anything out there and at that time. Everyone got the watches out. And so, uh, you know, a couple guys are running out doing some things. And so I, I, I get out and I run. And, and as I get past the line, I see all eight teams... Running behind me, right? And they're like, "They're like, is that the fastest you ever ran, son?" And I said, "No, I said on a slow day I ran four four. Some of them had it. At, I ran a four thirty six. Oh right, four three six. Some had four two eight. And oh I said, uh,
0: four two eight. Wait, guys, we're wrapping the not clock.
1: Right? That was a clock time. We though. can't gloss but, over that. <laughs> four two eight is insane. So it's funny though. Um, the team that said that gave me the two minutes, mm-hmm. and he lasts to this. Uh, Rambo used to. I uh, Dan Rambo." Um, uh, when I after I got drafted, he laughed about it the whole time. I went in the first round with Saskatchewan mm-hmm. with uh, Dan Rambo, and the wow. guy said, dismissed mm-hmm. me me." The, <laughs> the guy that dismissed you. After yeah, doing this. yeah, because I said I just I'm just you know okay uh, uh, from our just uh, telling the truth, mm, yeah. right? Small town country boy just telling the truth mm. about what we can do. Because but I put the work in, so I knew what I could do. Yeah. So it wasn't a guess, right? Yeah. It wasn't a guess. So right, we'll we'll talk about. I think that's a we'll talk about that. We'll go into that right
0: now. Actually, the. The hard work that it takes to—I mean, out of that long list of accomplishments that he's had, I'm sure um, in this room we also have our little accomplishments, little MVPs. And I never played volleyball at like Colonel By, but I—I I won a championship playing football at like Colonel By, and I was tier two. Okay, tier two. You, you don't have to talk tier about 2
1: that. <laughs> 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 It was tier two, but we, we won, won a championship. Championship. Won, a champ- championship. won tier one. Can okay, whatever. I was finals
0: MVP. Cool. Whatever. but I'm sure we all have those stories and but a lot of the time as black athletes yeah. I think one hurdle that maybe it's not a hurdle but one kind of stereotype that's rooted in racism that we have to face is oh you're just fast because you're black or you're yeah. just strong because you're black, and that's something that I've had to deal with because I could put up numbers in the gym and I've always kind of had that like yeah. raw strength and people just like oh in high school I went to a predominant I went to Colonel by which is, is a lot of white people um, so people just kind of write it off as, oh, it's because you're black. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And kind of discredits the hard work that we put in. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if we've had experiences at AK or Savannah or Alyssa, I've had experiences dealing with that, kind of having that hard work or dedication being written off and being like, oh, it's because you're black that you're good at basketball or because you're black that you're good at football. Do you guys have kind of experiences dealing with that? I'll go first? Well,
2: I'd say, yeah, especially yeah. like, for basketball, is kind of like a stereotypical black, black people play yeah. basketball, this and that, whatever. But it kind of like diminishes the work, the extra time that you put in, mm-hmm. like after hours mm-hmm. in the gym, this and that, just to get where you are. Exactly. So, like, I wouldn't say that my skills just come because of the color of my skin. Oh, yeah, like, that's yeah. not how it goes. Yeah. Can be. Yeah.
1: Okay.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. I think a lot of times um, it just gets pushed down to the like, goal, oh, like your genetics must be good or like... Like you were just like naturally good at this yeah. stuff and like people that know me from like from where I've come from and like they know where I was at they know personally that like none of it was genetics. Like none of it was, <laughs> like, I, was. I, <laughs> was. Like, I did not have I did not have I, I wasn't wore. blessed with a lot of good genetics, you know what I mean? But I just knew that when I looked around that I had to like work twice as hard, three mm-hmm. times as hard. So it's like sometimes I like, look at where I'm at now and I'm like and I look at the kid that was out there four or five, six years ago and yeah. I'm like yeah, I get discredited a lot, but I know the people that are like around me that have seen it, mm-hmm. know, and I think that's that's all that matters to me yeah. at the end mm-hmm. of the day. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: yeah, it's definitely frustrating because it's almost as if like I didn't earn my position, mm-hmm. and like other players' parents would also like kind of like, why aren't their daughters, you know, the the, the center of the mm-hmm. center of the, the stage? Like, why is it why is it me in a sense? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like. I didn't earn my my position due to my skill or whatever. I was just given to me despite all the hard work I put in. So yeah. that was always a, a running theme growing up. Yeah.
0: yeah. And that's something that's just like one of the things that we have to deal with, deal with, overcome. I mean, it's hard to like, I don't know, it's hard to, there's not really much you can do about the way other people think, right? Yeah. It's not really, I mean, if people want to think that you didn't put on hard work, it's like, what can I do about it? But I know, and you know, and yeah. we know, what we've been doing behind closed doors yeah. and the hard work that goes into being that, and definitely being a professional athlete uh, for as long as as you were, doing eight yeah. years in the league, staying in the NFL, sticking yeah. on the first round in the in the CFL—that's no small feat. So we can't just write that off too. Yeah.
1: But I, I think it's always important though um, when we have the opportunity when people do make uh, comments um, that are really rooted in, in systemic racism and stereotypes, that we have the ability to uh, rebut those mm-hmm. and, uh, and let them know, well, you know, I they put a lot of hard work into yeah. this, right? I wasn't this when I started, mm-hmm. right? Uh, people didn't see uh, the times and the days and the sacrifices that I made in order to get there. You know, in the gym every day, doing the uh, you know the footwork on the field every day, then doing the track stuff at night and like you know eating doing, and so that's an entire day where you know um, I would used to have the uh, the night watchman would have to because it was getting it would was getting dark. You know, I'd be out on the track from the morning until the night. They don't see that sacrifice. It's assumed that you get what you get because who you are and because you may happen to be black and have some skill, but some skill a lot of folks out there with some skill that don't get it, uh, to the pros. Yep. Right? Yeah. Yep. I think that's
0: that's something to be highlighted for sure. That's yep. even more reason to celebrate black ac- accomplishment, whether it's in sport, outside of sport, whatever it is. Is, I mean, the work that has to go in and, and we yep. might have, if we want to call it a head start genetically maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I've seen research that says like, people from this region in Africa are better sprinters and things like that that okay that's but there's still a lot of hard work that has to go in in every facet of life and I think that's a perfect transition for kind of the next part of the discussion we'll we'll dive into here with with Dwayne is that transition from being an accomplished athlete to to kind of the real world as people will call it the workforce so Kind of catch us up on where you are now and what yeah. you've been doing since your your journey. I know it's, it's been a long, a lot, <laughs> there's a lot that he's doing, and clearly from the bio, there's a lot that he has done since his athletic career, and, and not to be understated, like, you still got more coming, right? So, so let's talk about that. What have you been doing since your athletic
1: journey, and, and kind of where has that led you today? Um, you know, like all sports, um, mm-hmm. you know, unless you're Tom Brady, you don't usually play until you're 46, right? <laughs> Yeah. So, um, or Yarmie Yager and hockey, right? You don't, do, don't play that long. Um, so it, it came to a point where I uh, made a decision that uh, at some point they are going to have to call it, right? Um, you know, after uh, being in New England and, uh, and everything going extremely well um, on the team and all, and having a, an injury that sort of put me on injury reserve for the year, some would have called it a, a career-ending injury, but I was able to come back the following year, but back to the CFL okay. uh, with it. And uh, still fast, though. So. Still fast.
0: Not, not 4-2-8 though? Yeah. No, no, but 4 2 you know, 4-4, 4-4.
1: But it was, uh, um, yeah, making that decision to uh, get into what you call the, the prof- real-world profession. Mm-hmm. And yeah. being been blessed enough to do uh, what, I, what I liked for you know, eight years. Um, but also knowing that before I graduated and went to uh, New England. So I was drafted the first round with Saskatchewan, but went to New England with Parcells. Uh, that first year, um, I uh, I had two degrees, mm-hmm. so I wanted the time so that my academics um, were where I needed them to be. So I had a whole bunch to fall back on, and so um, knowing that I had that, and then taking a look at uh, at that time, I think our CFL cap was around two point five million or something like that. Now, but that was a I was, I'm not certain what that cap wasn't that much right in yeah. and, and the big scheme of things so it was a big difference between what I had in the NFL for those years with Parcells and with Pete Carroll um, and then um, what I had uh, in the CFL so at some point I had to make a decision right and so I came back and um, spoke with some folks and I'm in the education sector so what I do during the off season I go back home and in schools that had kids that looked like me mm-hmm. and from environments in which I grew up in I made sure I would sub Right, so I do a term, so I wouldn't go. I'd say, okay, I can do a week at this school, right? And I go into the school, kids know I play football and all that stuff, and so I encourage kids to do this and that, and so, um, and I picked the schools that I went to or the schools that the kids had, um, you know, some more uh, challenges than most, right? And uh, and so as a result of that, uh, it was a good segue when I came back to uh, the Black Educators Association. I took a role with them as the um, uh, running the, Re- the coordinator for the Regional Educators program, which is programming across the province that um, helped uh, African Nova Scotian students or students of African descent with uh, academics, uh, but as well as you know putting an inf- and uh, infusing culture into uh, those pieces. So it was almost like we could help you with your homework, mm-hmm. right? Give some tutoring, but also um, give you some knowledge about who you are yeah. and what you are. So we ran those programs right across the province in twenty eight different communities. And uh, and I spearheaded that, and then moved into the role of executive director. Successful at that, and then we uh, we uh, expanded offices and made sure that things were running properly, and uh, and had a lot of input uh, from the regional centers of education or school boards, right, depending on where you are, on issues that impact students of African descent or and the the challenges that they face inside the school setting. So we'd make sure you know that we were there when. Uh, Students were, um, you know, disciplined because we found that there were discrepancies in discipline for black students as it was for white students. So there'd be a fight that was called because you were called the Mm N-word or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yet you would get more time out of school than the person who actually perpetrated the harm, right? So we'd have to go in and we were there to do all that. Um, And so the fight has been long. To be quite honest, the fight has been... It's been 20, about 20 years now um, that, uh, you know, I've done a lot of things in the middle of that, but it, and none of it's really strayed away from making sure that, um, you know, I'm advocating for what's best for my, for, for my people and for the future, which is all of you guys, right? Um, that we have a, a bigger voice and more of a voice and that, um, and that we're counted. Um, you know, we tend to sometimes just assume that it's there, it's not there. Everything that I have came because there's somebody that we may not even know um, did something mm-hmm. to create that small window of opportunity to allow me to be here and in the role that I am, being able to influence now policy within uh, Nova Scotia but also at the federal provincial and territorial level i 'm able to influence some policies mm-hmm. um, as we go forward um, but that 's because somewhere some somehow someone said something or did something mm-hmm. that created that small window along the way and there's small increments, and you know that person may not have gotten any credit for what they 've done, but they stood up at some point. And because of it, you typically, when you stand up for issues that impact people of uh, African descent, uh, marginalized groups, um, the reaction from those who may not be uh, reflective of that group is, um, is one of, um, you know, they, they tend to then ostracize you yeah. to some extent. Yeah. Right. But you can see it. Right. Yeah. And is it, there goes he's going to talk about black stuff. Yeah, he's going to yeah, talk yeah. about. Yeah. And so, you know, the reality is, um, you know, we need to continue to talk about it. Um, it's important to us. Um, and, it, and it shows itself in a number of ways. I mean, no one has to take a look at, the, uh, at anything but the, the news nowadays to find out how uh, we uh, were brutalized and, uh, you know, traumatized um, across uh, North America, which also includes us. Sometimes we, we're a great country, but sometimes we think that everything happens in the U.S. Yeah. And it's not. It's here as well. And in, in, in different ways. And sometimes not in different ways. Uh, So, we need to make sure that we pay attention to those things so that we don't spiral more downward. And the only way we do that is to have those serious, hard conversations Uh about what race really is and and talk about the marginalizations and the microaggressions that take place on a daily basis that folks have to actually um, endure. And when I say that, I mean we talk about um, racialized groups and we talk about marginalization. Um, But when we're specifically talking about people of African descent. Um, our, you know black is a um, is a disparity of health uh-huh. right that's and it's been it's by it, it's been it's been deemed that um, uh, you know by Health Canada you know it's not you know we know that uh, we face a lot of uh, a lot of adverse uh, consequences based on how we look yeah. right um, and it's a reality uh, the idea is um I'm never one to worry about how people feel in terms of feel good. I can't, you can't count on people feeling good mm-hmm. in order to make a difference for, for, for folks of African descent and even marginalized people to that extent. It's really about um, policy for me. So um, if you have a policy in place that keeps people, you know, that speaks to um, the marginalization, that tries to rectify the marginalization, but also have uh, consequences and accountability mechanisms built into it, that's how you change things, uh-huh. right? Because I can't depend on whether someone feels good because they came from church on Sunday and they're going to treat me good today. But by Wednesday, having a rough day, and now you know all the microaggressions all start. Uh-huh. So for us, it's really about making sure that we're embedding the policies in the in, in all aspects and phases of what life is uh, to be in Canada, so that we have an ability to uh, to function freely and fully in all that Canada has to offer. So. having an opportunity to get uh, to get to some of that now Um, and uh, you know having been a pro athlete and a university athlete as well um, um, I've been able to transition some of those uh, key skills and Mm -hmm. and that you learn teamwork and Mm -hmm. and all those uh, aspects of it and you learn you know you adjust right but you also you would know as a defensive back gotta have a short memory you can't drag that other stuff into what you're doing the next minute or it'll cause you to make a mistake right? right And so we have to be able to, you know, compartmentalize these things and then still deal with them in a way that we think is going to be uh, productive and, and, and get us some, some, uh, some, some movement forward for, uh, not just us, but future generations. When you look at our, our uh, in Nova Scotia, our Mi'kmaq community, our indigenous community, and they have a thing where they look seven generations out, I think from us as an African uh, Nova Scotia, but also people of African and African Canadians. I think we need to start looking a little bit more uh, to, to looking out for generational generationally so that we're making sure that um, you know, you guys aren't just doing the same things that I'm doing, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, by fighting the same battle that I'm fighting, yeah. whether it's university sport, mm-hmm. right? Or whether it's in your uh, in your professional careers as um, you know in, in the workforce. Um, it's the same thing. You want to have this. You want to have uh, the access that uh, isn't uh, predicated on the color of your skin. Because when you show up, you don't have the ability to hide what that is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So
0: I think one, one big thing that you just mentioned is the generational aspect of it. Yeah. I think this is a fitting conversation for. I mean, for the setting. So. Your there's battles you fought um, in your time professionally, both athletically and. In the workforce that you were hoping that your daughters wouldn't have to fight uh, today so I'm just wondering what that looked like in the in the household in terms of education in terms of uh, kind of disseminating the lot knowledge that you had gained both firsthand and through your um, kind of career pursuits Um, how did that how did you incorporate that into the way you raised um, your kids and then also I'll get Savannah and Alyssa's perspective of of it how that kind of was in the upbringing and how it led to you joining the BSAC and being um, active agents of change now. So I'll just start with with the father and
1: we'll get into the daughters. Yeah. Um, you know, I think um, a lot of, um, if not all, um, African-Canadian parents, um, you know, when uh, everyone's protective of their kids uh-huh. uh, for the most part. And so when, um, when our kids are entering environments that we know have not been built for us, mm-hmm. uh, but we're part of um, that we also try to prepare our kids so that um, they can protect themselves from the harms that we know as adults are part of uh, you know what's coming yeah. at some point,? Okay. Right? So you try to give them the, the words and give them the, uh, the abilities to be able to uh, uh, to not only um, address those things, but to try to move forward um, in a positive way. Without ruining their relationships and their social settings and all the other settings, I mean, you know, I I go back even with sports. So you know, once my my girls were of age and started to do sports, I went into coaching. Mm -hmm. A lot of, lot of, lot of coaching, right? a lot of, like they won't tell you, but they were phenomenal fast pitch softball players. MVP, two time MVP. Alyssa played. She was Alyssa was like I think she was ten playing with the fifteen year olds, right? So. You know, shortstop, could bat both ways, and I think to, anyway, the girls were... in a family of multi-sport yeah, athletes. Yeah, and, and so so was their older sister. Mm-hmm. But I, I do remember when, I think um, your older sister who's not here, Ariel, who was 11, um, and um, we had, I think we are playing the U-12 um, Provincial Championships, and we were at a certain part of the province. Anyway, Alyssa was playing up, right? Um, and Savannah was playing, at, uh, playing up uh, by year, and my daughter, other older daughter, who was extremely good too, Um, she was playing there, and uh, we're a good team, so I coached, and and, uh, we're a really good team, and I had to tell my, um, I had to take my uh, 12-year-old aside and have that conversation with her about, you're the best player here, Mm -hmm. everybody knows you're the best player here, you're already hearing the complaints that you're the best player here, right? Um, From parents, you could hear it, right? Okay, so every game they pick, they pick Player of the Games, and then there's MVP and all that. I had to tell her, you know, tell an 11 year old or so, I don't know if she was 12 at that time, might have been 11, but um, that uh, we know, um, because there's some more issues around, you know, with the racial components and all that stuff as well, that okay, no matter what you do here, you're not going to be Player of the Game, you're not going to be MVP, no matter how well you play. That's that's not easy for a, a parent to do based upon race, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and reactions of those who are judging, and uh, it so just so happened um, she played extremely well. You guys all played extremely well, and we won. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, in that tournament, you might remind me, but um, in that tournament, she was okay with it because um, not getting MVP, mm-hmm. even though she was, because the MVP was actually her sister, okay. because they couldn't deny it she pitched a no hitter. There you go. Oh, in the Claude, championship game. Oh, right? ta- <laughs> 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 He fits the no-hitter in the championship game. Um, but also, but uh, I think the year prior to that, um, she was easily – we won again, and she was you – know, usually the MVP comes from the team, and it was clearly it was, should have been her, and she didn't get it. It was given to someone from the second-place team or something, and, oh, wow. and our sport body had to deal with that later. Mm-hmm. And then they, uh, during the next season, came to one of the games and awarded her with the MVP – Later, because mm-hmm. we didn't let it lie, right? Yeah. We had to bring that up. It's not yeah. okay. I think it's not. I think that's that's part of it. So often we we tend to be nice about some of the, the microaggressions, and some are macro, yeah. <laughs> and we tend to let things go. I don't. I, I think uh, we need not let those things go and bring them to light. But it also helps when we have um, organizations or institutions that have the ability to uh, support uh, mm-hmm. some of parents that may not feel that they have the agency to do it themselves. Yeah. So I think uh, a capacity building for me is a big thing. When I took on this role uh, where I am now, and I just want to say, African Nova Scotian Affairs, um, our office is the only office of its kind in the country. No other province has an office wow. dedicated to people of African descent, except Nova Scotia. It's huge, wow! Right, huge. Yeah. And, uh, and we'd like to say we'd like to see more, uh, more take on, and I can advocate more at these federal, provincial, territorial tables. Um, but with that being said. When I first took over about a year and a half now or so, um, the first thing I needed to do was make sure that our folks had access. First of all, access to all programs, all you know, programs and departments for which these departments have responsibilities for delivering. But the second piece was capacity, and so the capacity piece is making sure that we had capacity inside our communities so that our folks had the ability to access. Those yeah. no sense, given access, we don't have capacity. Yeah. So if you're talking, so that's why I'm saying the VSAC. absolutely wonderful. Mm-hmm. That's capacity, yep. right? Without that, you guys have, a, it's a body now that mm-hmm. has the ability to have a voice, yeah. right? And without those, um, you don't, you know, all those, all those individual, um, you know, uh, microaggressions and macroaggressions, they're just, uh, they're just seen as individual acts when yeah. they're not. Yeah. Cumulatively. It, it, it adds up to, to anti-black racism, yeah. right?
0: And it's representative of a much...
1: Like, a l- much larger, but you're creating the capacity. So, you know, and then you can't get to action without the capacity. Mm-hmm. And as a, as a group um, um, across this country, I think uh, we need to look at that a little bit more uh, seriously as we go and make sure that we're truly being inclusive of all of us, right? Uh, that's the other piece. Um, you know, creating... Uh, uh, you know, capacity, but not including everyone is it okay either. Yeah. Right? Um, so, you know, we've been doing, making some moves here in Nova Scotia and other provinces have been asking. And uh, and so we're always open to do that and, uh, and share. But, um, you know, I was really pleased when I heard that uh, this group was... Uh, was formed here at the university. I think... Uh, look, I want to give a shout out to
0: all of you. Uh, we get, we all get a lot of applause. applause. <laughs> I mean, this is really
1: what it's all about. Yeah. It's, about uh, it's about the next generation. It's about you guys understanding the a kind of influence impact that you can have. Right? Okay. And it starts here. Yep. Right? This is where minds are, minds are developed. Yep. Right? And it starts right here. So I'm very pleased to, uh, to see this group going. And that's why I had no hesitation when my girl said... Uh, you know, that you know, that you're going to be part of this. Absolutely. yeah, Absolutely. I mean, they
0: gave, they gave, they prefaced, like, they told me, they told me that their dad was, like, he could talk and he was well-spoken and I was like, okay, cool. It's be cool to have him on. I did not know that he was the Associate Deputy deputy Minister of <laughs> Nova, Nova Scotian Affairs. So, I was very excited to find that out and, and I mean... Like just the wealth of knowledge that that you have, both through experience and having being well read on on these issues and things like that. I mean, that's great. I'm just knowledge to have, but also to pass down. That's the, the yeah. big the big thing for me. I think is that generational wealth that yeah. that not only you know, but that your kids after you know that yeah. their kids after them know. So uh, we'll get into Savannah and Alyssa's experience with that uh, in the household and how that kind of shaped you and brought you to where you are now in terms of you're wanting to be involved in, in, in things like that.
4: Absolutely. Like, a person like my dad <laughs> yeah. as your dad, like, it just makes you want to, you know, just you want to be like him. Mm-hmm. Like, when I heard of BSAC, I was like, okay, obviously I want to join. Yeah. The amount of things my dad has done, I could at least do this one little thing mm-hmm. and, you know, be a part of a a, a team of like-minded individuals mm-hmm. and, you know, promote change within, you know, the little community, the little black athlete community that we are. Mm-hmm. So it was yeah. like,
2: you know, you just, you just want
4: to be like that. Yeah. Yeah,
2: awesome. I'd say the same thing. Like just having someone like dad in the household day to day, just like a great role model and mm-hmm. it's just like, when I grow up, like I want to be like my dad. Like right? He's just, he does so much. Like Academics is a very important part, something that he focuses on. So academics is important to us, yeah. sports as well. And then just his job focusing on improving the lives of people of African descent is like, it is like us. So mm-hmm. it's like, Everybody, so it's something that I want to as well yeah.
0: help out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I, 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 I want to preface
1: this a little bit because Mom deserves a lot of credit. So, Mom, when <laughs> you're watching out, this, right? Out, mom. Mom. When you're watching mom this, too. Mom, Mom, too. mom, <laughs> mom <Boys> behind the <laughs> scenes, <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, and play play. Hey, Mom's an athlete, and her she yes. was Canada Games, Canda yeah. Games flag bearer, uh, Dalhousie women's volleyball She's captain nice. and MVP, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so mom can hold her own, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, this is this is really I'm really happy we had this because this
0: is what the BSAC is all about at its at its core. This is what it's all about. I think definitely getting the ball rolling at our level. Uh, mm-hmm. This is like a a microcosm of, of what you're doing at your level. I mean, yes. obviously at a much bigger scope, but I mean, what we've been trying to do is that that representation, the visibility of of having accomplished Black athletes. We have, I mean. Amongst us yeah. and Bridget and mm-hmm. we have so many accomplished black athletes yeah. at the university that make up this body and and the only thing that we can do is continue to try to be representative of the larger black community that we have and and I mean things like this the podcast itself I mean the the really the birth of it was having a voice yeah and being able to voice our opinions on certain issues last week we talked about the kind of tensions that were happening at the University of ottawa and our role in it and how kind of we had to be frontline because there's no one else yeah. who else is going to do the work if, if we if we didn't do it which is the kind of the birth of of the BSAC so I mean definitely definitely great to have Dwayne Provo on I mean do you have any last remarks anything any other messages you want to get out and then I'll wrap this up and, and we'll get out of here
1: um, uh, probably because uh, it's uh, African Heritage Month mm-hmm. um, uh, but I probably would say, um, you know, in, in relation to inclusion and, and all those things that folks want to say, I want to talk about, and you hear a lot about it, uh, about it now, but the reality is, um, if we're truly talking about inclusion and inclusivity, uh, it's really about, um, you know, everybody has a part to play, mm-hmm. regardless as to who you are. So it's not about what black folks are doing. Mm-hmm. It's about what everyone's doing. What, what are you doing to make things better for not just um, you know, uh, folks that are around you, but just in general to create that kind of environment that you would want for yourself. And so um, I guess I'll part on that, right? Yeah. So that'll be my parting. It's everyone's responsibility and everybody has a part to play. And I just wanted to give a shout out um, also, this is absolutely wonderful uh, to be here, uh-huh. right? Um, with you guys from VSAC, but also the fact that we have some folks that look like us uh, that uh, are putting this thing together, yeah. and um, and and I'm I'm always a big proponent of making sure that um, that our voices are there in journalism and media and and, and, other, and other ways um, as well. So I was really pleased to, to see that. So, you know, um, great, great job! Shout out to BIA Media. Great
0: shout oh. out to BIA. Yeah. He stole my line. He stole my line. I usually do the shout out at the. Show. End. I usually do the shout out to the end. I always appreciate BIA Media, man, for putting this thing together and helping us get our voices heard. I mean you can't be heard without the microphone, right? The Absolutely. Can't heard without, be heard without the microphone. So definitely big shout out to BIA Media for giving us the microphone and letting our voices be heard. Anyone else have any closing remarks? Y'all have anything to say? I, yeah, you, I can talk. You being all here of the, yeah, rest. you got it. AK. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely
3: <laughs> appreciate you being here. I think one message that definitely stuck to me from what you said, and there was a lot that stuck yeah. to me, obviously. But it's just like learning to build those systemic accountability measures, where it's mm-hmm. like one person can't go, even though you have obviously traveled and yeah. met with a lot of schools and been in a lot of communities. It's it's almost unfair to ask one person to do all that, yeah. and it's like we got to start thinking like you said, seven generations deep. Right? It's like how can I build a system that's gonna hold this entire community, this entire city yeah. accountable. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's where you make changes in small spots over the country, over the city, over the you know, province. So yeah, okay. so, yeah
0: absolutely. 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 Big round of applause. Big round of applause to my guests. This has been a great discussion. I mean I think it's a perfect perfect way to wrap up uh, the podcast. I mean, if you're watching, if you're listening, to work to Dwayne Provo, play your role. I mean, whatever it is, whether it's being kind, being generous, whether it's supporting a black owned business, whatever your role and and wherever you can make an impact in that light of inclusivity and inclusion, make that impact and let your voice be heard, man. Shout out to the BSAC again. Shout out to the BSAC for putting this together, for being here. Everyone that's been on, everyone that's been on these episodes, shout out to Stefan, to Callie, to Destin, to Adrian. Yep. Uh, again, shout out to BIA Media. This Black History Month, we've done a lot and we still have uh, a lot more to do. And we want to continue to do that over the years to come. So in any way you can continue to sh- support the BSAC, uh, check our Instagram, BSAC, B S A A C U uh, O, YouTube, Spotify, and any way you can support. We really appreciate it. But until next time, guys, it's been great. See you next time. Big round of applause wow. and take this out.